Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James, and joining me on today's episode are Rory and Mike from the My Wall Street Analyst teams. This week, we're talking about why Amazon is buying up so many healthcare companies at the moment, why Instagram is copying Be Real, and what the future might hold for Facebook. And in the extended version of Stock Club, we discuss one of the most controversial new companies out there, Phase Clan. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Rory, Mike, welcome to this week's Stock Club podcast. It's good to be back. Mike, how did you how did you find uh, the last few weeks of hosting? Do you feel like you've been demoted now that you're not the host anymore? Well, you came back to a podcast, which is nice. <laughs> you're, look, you're lucky to be back at all mate like, Amory did, did a great job last week it's not a pile of ashes on the floor just yet so you're doing okay I, I thought you know that meme from community when he walks in with the pizza <laughs> yeah. and everything's just on fire <laughs> I that's what I was going to be returning to uh, but yeah look it's always it's always nice to come back to see things are still standing I have to check the stats though Mike see was there any dips in listenership oh, over the last few weeks that's your job not mine yeah. <laughs> one of them was particularly long. I think it was the one Amory hosted last week with me and Emmett was like, I think it went over an hour. Oh, yeah. Me, me, you and Emmett did like uh, 25 minutes on a business <laughs> at the end and it just started. Yeah. <laughs> there was, there was an yeah. extended version. The extended version in the app was like an extra half an hour on top we were, of We were, we were losing was, your, uh, your discipline, James. <laughs> yeah. It was like a Strangest Thing episode. It was just so long. Um, so I'll have to, I'll have to get out the whip and, and uh, crack it today. Um, so just before we kick off, as, as we were talking there, there's an extended version of this podcast available. Uh, at the end, Rory and Mike are going to pitch me two companies as usual. I'm going to pick one for, to get an extended version on. You can listen to this in the My Wall Street app for free. There's notes, there's a link uh, for the episode in the notes for today's show. So just hop on over to my wall street app to listen to the full extended version but guys let's get straight into the news um, and the first one it seems since i've been away amazon has gone on a bit of a shopping spree uh, it snapped up the likes of irobot and one medical in the past few weeks um, i know you guys spoke about the acquisition of irobot recently but what i want to focus on today is amazon's growing interest in the healthcare space specifically um, in addition to splashing out 3.9 billion on one medical there were reports earlier this week that amazon is also amongst a host of bidders for signify health which is a company that provides technology for in-home care. Um, Rory, let's touch quickly on, I suppose, the broad shopping spree by Amazon first. Um, I think it, it was Scott Galloway who once said that competing with Amazon was like trying to stay underwater longer than somebody who had a much bigger oxygen tank. With the market kind of in such a shambles at the moment, such a prolonged downturn, so many companies, tech companies particularly, feeling the pressure. Are we seeing Amazon just kind of using its clout now and its muscle to snap up some great companies at an even greater discount? Yeah, well, he said that in his book, The Four, and I actually grabbed a quote from his most recent book, which is called Post-Corona, um, which pretty much sums up what is happening right now. Um, so he writes uh, kind of, post-culling, when the rains return, there was more foliage for fewer elements. Companies with cash and debt collateral with highly valued stock will be positioned to acquire the assets of distressed competitors and consolidate the market. 
Um, now, that was a broad statement about how coronavirus pandemic was going to enable larger players to simply kind of gobble up smaller ones. Um, and we've seen a few examples of that. You know, you mentioned Amazon buying iRobot there, um, Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard. Um, what's interesting is that this current downtrend is obviously well past the point that coronavirus was the kind of primary driver of the market. But it is the fallout that a lot of people didn't really expect, you know, the supply chain issues, the inflation um, the energy crisis that was sparked by the war in Ukraine um, that's that's causing this. And this isn't so much, you know, in, in the case of Amazon with its purchase of One Medical, uh, it's not so much a company buying its direct competitor, but a company deciding that with stock prices depressed, they can buy up a lot of businesses that are going to fast track um, kind of their longer term plans into kind of an expansion into an industry. You know, you look at One Medical. I think they paid like an 80% premium for that business and it, they still got it like half the price it was less than a year ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're obviously, they've obviously got plans in the healthcare space and uh, they're, they're using this opportunity to buy their way into it. I think, um, I think the Adobe CEO said there recently, I think their most recent earnings report that a downturn like this, especially consolidated in the tech industry is good for the big players because they can come mm. and do exactly what Amazon are doing. And hoover up all these depressed stock price companies. So, and like, yeah, as you said, the, the companies with the bigger with the bigger oxygen tanks, the cash flows, the profits are able to just benefit from this, get through it, and and move on. While yeah. the unprofitable businesses that weren't really that were swimming naked are the ones that are suffering <laughs> and get bought at a serious discount. So it's interesting. Is is swimming naked the technical term, Mike? Yeah, that's a Warren Buffett quote. <laughs> yeah, only what is it, only when the tide goes out can you see who's swimming naked. <laughs> Didn't go out for a long time. No. no. Yeah, it's it's like this. It's like just before a tsunami at the minute. I think. Um, yeah. But back, Rory, you talked about one medical there. Let's let's focus on them first because Amazon have obviously bought them or in the process of buying them. Um, one medical run kind of primary care kit clinics as as far as i'm can can kind of ascertain so what do you think amazon sees in this what what's the the play here for amazon so i mean what's interesting about uh, one medical is that it very much revolves around kind of doctor's offices so one medical operates about 180 physical clinics in 25 us markets now they had like a health telehealth service and a digital platform um, as well, and, and a kind of proprietary electronic health record system too. But their kind of real focus was on these kind of physical clinics that members could visit. Um, and it started out like as an individual membership program, and then they expanded it out to employees. Um, but if you look at, I mean, this Signify Health uh, deal is simply, a, it's a rumor at the moment. I mean, we do think mm. they're probably they're probably in the running for them. Um They've kind of gone the other way. Their, their thing is all about home care. So, uh, if you think about a company like, um, Evelyn Health, which we talked about last week, they're kind of in the value based care, which is a very, which is a very broad term in fairness, but it's really about kind of, you know, trying to get patients not to do as many procedures as possible to generate revenue. So it's kind of the opposite of that model. You're trying to figure out the best way to treat patients that lower costs for both the patient and or the patient or whoever it's paying for it in the end and the provider. Um, so if you think about one medical as a kind of entrance into the kind of physical clinic space, signifies the other one. They're kind of focusing on keeping patients out of hospitals by visiting them at home. Um, okay. Or at least that's that's my understanding of them from the, the bit I've read this week. Uh, and so that would kind of, you could see that kind of answering kind of two elements of, of what they're looking for in terms of breaking into this kind of healthcare space. 
Um, I suppose like the bigger question is what's the attraction of healthcare in the first place? Um, yeah. And I think there's kind of two forces at work here. You know, the first, perhaps the most obvious one is that Amazon is always trying to figure out ways to take a slice of the pie. Um, and if we're just going to think about the American healthcare industry, that's a $4 trillion a year pie. Uh, so, you know, that's the just, they just want to make money out of this. The second reason, and this is probably more interesting, is that Amazon has been very successful in the past in building out systems that it needs for its own business. And um, so you look like back at the massive logistics network that Amazon built, which is now kind of fueled their kind of fulfillment by Amazon business. Amazon built that out because they thought they needed that in order to make their e-commerce business work. Uh, mm. In doing that, they put, you know, huge amount of capital down, um, but they became their first and best customer for that system. Uh, so the exact same thing happened with AWS. They saw a need for their own business interests. They went out of full steam ahead. They invested billions of dollars, but they did that safe in the knowledge that they would be their first and best customer. Um, and then, you know, once once they have that, they can build it out even more and start making money by selling it out to other companies. Uh, so, you know, you think about the market right now, <clears throat> any hint of a company getting a big contract with Amazon sends the stock up massively. I think, you know, a firm is a relatively good example of that recently because Amazon is such a monster that even being associated with Amazon dramatically increases the value of the business. I think is Peloton up like 18% today just because they said yeah. they were going to sell on Amazon? You know, it's crazy. Like anytime Amazon is mentioned uh, in some sort of positive way with another business, it just explodes the stock. So, you know, Amazon, as we know, is the biggest employer in the US. It's dealing with rising costs. It believes it can create a better system, you know, one that will at least serve its own needs. Um, and if it's right, then, you know, it's it'll first of all be its, its first and best customer. And then it can leverage that into a totally new business that will serve third parties and insert itself into the whole value chain. Um, yeah. So remember a few years ago, like very famously, Amazon went into partnership with JP Morgan Chase and Berkshire Hathaway to create, um, I think it was called Haven. And this was kind of like a non-profit to try and improve kind of the employee healthcare system in America. And that was kind of wrapped up. So do you see this as kind of Amazon kind of going at it alone or extending this kind of mission? Yeah. So, I mean, I was going to make that point that this, this strategy that Amazon has, it doesn't always work out. And, um, mm. you know, they did have that with Haven was a good example. You know, the healthcare industry is very difficult to penetrate. And I think people thought the idea of doing with Berkshire and JP Morgan sounded good at the time, but it did seem to cause some issues. You know, they were, they couldn't figure out the, the cost of care across the three businesses. Um, and Amazon just went and launched Amazon Care in the middle of that as well, which I think took the other two of them a bit by surprise. Going, hold on, a second. guys, I thought we were doing this together. Like, are you are you just getting us to pay for the the knowledge and doing it by yourself? I, you know, there does seem to, there did seem to be some you know difference of opinions there and, and how it was going to proceed. But um, from what we've kind of heard, you know, healthcare, as we said, it's super difficult. They launched Amazon Care a few years back. From reports I've read. There doesn't seem to have been a huge uptake with it, even within their own company. Yeah. Um, what the deal with One Medical does and potentially the deal would signify is it's basically fast tracking itself, both in terms of customers and suppliers. So pretty much buying a base rather than building one. Yeah. Um, so look, we have to see how it goes. You know, there's a kind of thing I think that people think with Amazon is that like as soon as they enter something, if they're just going to totally upend the entire thing. And sometimes they do, but like, 
you know, if you were to go back and think about like, do you remember when we found out Whole Foods was being acquired by them? There was yeah. so many people going, oh my God, this is like the, this retail, retail is going to be upended completely. Um, they're going to turn all those Whole Foods into networks and their logistic node. There's going to be all these subscription rundles and bundles. They've kind of done nothing with it. You know, it's just, it's <laughs> yeah. basically the exact same thing. You know, I think you get it. You get a few quid off if you've got a prime subscription. That's about it. So they don't always, you know, figure this out, I think. But what they have got is that backing that's like, well, look, you know, we'll build this out. We know we need it for our own employees anyway. Um, and hopefully we can kind of turn it into something bigger that we can sell to others. Yeah, absolutely. Be interesting to see now how this kind of the the rumors about Signify develop. Um, something we'll surely come back to. Let's move on then. And there's another story that came up this week, and this is something that I'm pretty sure we've covered about half a dozen times over the life of Stock Club, which is Facebook ripping off somebody else's idea. Uh, just a few days ago, Facebook or Meta or whatever you prefer to call them confirmed that they were prototyping a new feature for Instagram called IG Candid. This feature would prompt users to share a photo at a random time of the day, giving them only two minutes to do so. Of course, if there's any Gen Zs listening here or Anne-Marie who frequently talks with this company, this is almost the exact same thing as the new social media app on the scene, Be Real. Um, it's no wonder that Meta might be worried about Be Real, though. It's currently the number one non-gaming app in the US App Store, with global downloads of the app hitting nearly 23 million by the end of July, half of those in the US. Uh, Mike, Facebook is well knowing or has is has been well known for in, nabbing ideas from other companies in the past, like Snap and TikTok have both suffered from kind of Mark Zuckerberg just ripping off their idea pretty much. Uh, how has this tactic kind of typically worked out for them? Yeah, well, I don't know if TikTok is suffering too much. Um, no. But <laughs> like we, we look back at kind of, I suppose, Facebook's tactics at the time and you see the Instagram acquisition of just kind of, lauded as one of the best recent acquisitions we've seen and then you remember before it ripped off snapchat stories it actually tried to buy them too and mm. like snap ceo evan spiegel was kind of seen as a bit of a joke for not selling out for three or four billion i can't remember and you know now he's running a 20 billion dollar company so like fair play to him it used to be an 80 billion dollar <laughs> company last year but that's that's a digression <laughs> um but for both instagram and snap i think like with facebook or meta or evil corporate, whatever you want to call them these days, they, they were coming from a position of strength. It was the dominant yeah. company hoovering up competitors and kind of vanquishing threats before, not before they happened, but before they truly established themselves. And like we talk about TikTok too much recently on this pod, but you can't have a conversation about Facebook without mentioning it because I think this position of strength that Facebook is in is kind of, it's in question now. So in copying Be Real, it's taken a page out of its old play, playbook, but what's Facebook and Instagram no longer being the social social side of choice for for that demographic. I'm not sure if it's going to get the same results. So the mm. product is still only in production. We don't know if it's actually going to be released or if it's going to come out or whatever. But if I'm be real, I'm a lot less worried that Facebook is trying to copy me rather than if TikTok would try to do the same. The kind of the, the company, the 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 app, I suppose, that owns that demographic. So yeah. it's kind of a worrying spot for Facebook to be in to talk about them as almost a second tier, especially for that younger age group. 
Yeah, and and like they they've been really suffering. We're actually recording this on Wednesday, um, twenty fourth of August, and Anne Marie actually just published a really good piece today, kind of about be real, and um, I think about Pinterest's new social media kind of strategy too. But I think what's really interesting about be real is they're kind of like a, a an anti Facebook in many ways. They're obviously a social media company, but I think the the co founders have been on record saying that they've no interest in in monetizing the company. Now that will obviously change, I'm sure, as it goes along, but. To, to date you know there's there's no way or, or no roadmap would be real actually kind of figuring out how to make any money on it so you know it is an opportunity for um for i suppose instagram to come in and, and you know obviously already has its revenue streams there not have to worry about that but just take the feature uh away away from be real yeah potentially i think it's it's funny because instagram is almost the exact opposite of what be real is be real is yeah. this thing where you're uh, blunt and you take two minutes and you post your actual life where Instagram is famous for touch-ups and airbrushing and editing and posting only, you know, the highlights and like maybe building this false picture. So I'm not sure how it's going to fit in really. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's going to be FX traders and crypto scammers <laughs> every two minutes <laughs> posting games, but we'll see. Uh, well, let's talk about kind of Facebook slash Meta more widely then. Um, you know, this is, as you said there, it's kind of weird to be talking about Facebook on, on the back foot. They're such a behemoth of social media, but industry in general. But, you know, it's fair to say that the company has been really trying to reimagine itself over the past while and especially, especially kind of positioning itself in this burgeoning metaverse trend that we've spoken about before, Mike. How do you feel that's been going so far? Obviously, you know, the company changed its name to Meta. I saw there was a picture of Mark Zuckerberg in front of a really, really <laughs> crap looking Eiffel Tower um, there last week. And he, he got fairly um, fairly roasted for it. I, th- I saw somebody saying it was the, bl- the love child of Sims and Nintendo Wii. How, how has this push towards the Metaverse been going for, I suppose, the wider Facebook company? Yeah, well, you've seen the photo. It's, it's not going well, apparently. <laughs> Like Facebook, and rightfully so, we must add, like it's got some serious levels of bad equity built up in the eyes of the public. So it's not surprising that people are going to be overly critical of anything it comes out with. But yeah, the first, the first look at this metaverse project is shocking, really. (laughs) Like it's called Horizon Worlds and it was, I think Zuckerberg was launching it in France and Spain. That's hence the Gaudi Cathedral and the Eiffel Tower. But it's, I don't know. We need to link the link the article into the show notes. It looks like yeah. a bad children's cartoon, and then made worse yeah. by the fact that it's of Zuckerberg himself, who's kind of the least human-looking human alive. Like, it's, it's important. <laughs> well, to note, he though, looks he looks more human in the metaverse <laughs> than he does in real life. <laughs> it's important to note though that like Horizon Worlds is kind of a placeholder, so this isn't like what the company is going to spend a fifteen billion quid on. It's kind of. A, a, a stopgap in between that and the finished yeah. product, um, but it does. It brings into question the kind of the immer- immersiveness, uh, like, and what this company who's, who's leading the charge on this new digital frontier that is the metaverse. Like, this is what it's come up with. It looks something out of like Paw Patrol or whatever. <laughs> but I don't know. It's it, it's interesting because with the metaverse play in general, we can kind of look at it in a similar right to. to say the be real copycat you know if it, if this move was coming from a position of strength we wouldn't really think too much of it and we wouldn't be critical but the company has had kind of more questions over it now than than it ever has really mm. and at this time it's deciding to pivot, pivot its whole business model it, it reeks a bit of desperation like, like do you know joe uh google's moonshot division yeah so it's like those really wild ambitious projects it's, it's where waymo the self-driving car kind of came from 
Like people don't invest in Google because of the moonshots. They invest in like, you know, the advertising business. But the beauty of owning Google is that you also get to own a piece of Waymo or quantum computing startup or whatever else they have going Moon, on in the moonshot yeah. business. Yeah. And that's what the metaverse project should be for Facebook. You know, a side project that is a part and a side from its core business until it mm. becomes a pro- proven entity. Instead, they changed the name and they named the company after it. Like, so, and it's completely <laughs> unproven. And, you know, I think we just have to question, is the pivot coming because Zuckerberg sees the writing on the wall? For the first time ever, the strength of its ad model has been brought into question. Uh, for the first time ever, it's actually losing users. Now, you can push back on that and say that half the world is some form of Facebook user, so you can reach a saturation point. But like the fact remains, 2022 was the first year Facebook users fell. So it yeah. all brings into question the investment thesis for, for Facebook. Is someone buying the stock today? If someone is buying the stock today, what are they buying? Like a struggling ad platform of or this unknown metaverse project that's worth five hundred billion quid? I I don't I can't really answer that question. It's like I'm not sure I'm not sure what the investment thesis for Facebook is right now. Yeah. There was an argument when, I mean, with Google's moonshots, there's always been an argument as well that these were kind of, I don't know, pet projects of Larry and Surge and that, you know, really they should go off and just fund those themselves if they want to do it and like try and get the businesses to work separate from Google. I think, you know, there could be an element of, of that where you could say, well, like if you believe in the metaverse, why don't you go and build a metaverse? Why are you doing it with Facebook money, yeah. you know, it's, there doesn't seem to be, I mean, you know, I can, I, obviously there's got to be some sort of connection between Facebook and the metaverse, but you don't need to do that within the faith, within Facebook, the company itself. Um, unfortunately, you know, Zuck is a emperor with no, uh, no one who's able to stop him really with his, his dual class shares. Mm, yeah. I think, I think as well, what it comes from is that Facebook, Facebook was built as an app. Well, not as an app, but like is in, it's within the ecosystem of either Google or Apple. Is it through the App Store or Google Search? You have to get through those to get to Facebook, kind of. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? So like in seeing the metaverse as this new frontier that no one has kind of conquered yet, Zuckerberg has gone, okay, well, maybe we can actually own our ecosystem now. And we don't have to have those go-throughs of Apple or Google because I'd say Apple turning the screw with the privacy measures shows just how much control it had over Facebook's business, even while Facebook became a trillion dollar business within that ecosystem. So trying to try the, the Facebook next phone again, the old Facebook phone and <laughs> run. That's really like the last death twitches of any company. <laughs> so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that neither of you have become convinced of the metaverse in the few weeks I've been away. I, loads of other companies seem to have abandoned this. Well, like there seems to be all these other businesses that were like, oh yeah, we'll get into the metaverse now. They're just like, mm, probably going to pull it back on that now until someone figures out what it's supposed to be. I'm not going to dedicate any more resources to this. You can get a bit ex- existential here now and say that we're already in the metaverse. When, when people care more about their online personas than their real life persona. When you see someone doing a stupid TikTok dance in public and everyone is looking at him like a weirdo, but he cares because he's going to get loads of likes and follows. He's in the metaverse. What do you think of that? Okay. I'm going <laughs> to cut this rant off yeah. here because <laughs> I promise this podcast will be shorter than the last ones. But uh, thanks for that, lads. <laughs> let's move on then. But before we go, let's, uh, let's, I just want to mention that you can listen to the full version of this podcast in the My Wall Street app where you'll get the long version of one of our elevator pitches at the end of this episode. It's completely free to listen to Stock Club in My Wall Street. All you need to do is download the app on iOS or Android and create a free My Wall Street account. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. And let's go over to Mailbag. Rory, last week you gave us a really good update on Evelyn Health, which is perhaps one of the more niche stocks in the My Wall Street shortlist. Another company that you actually updated this week is Pure Storage, which is definitely a very, very niche company. Can you give us a quick overview on, on what Pure Storage is and kind of what your latest thoughts on the company are? Yeah, it's funny that I kind of link those companies as just businesses that no one ever talks about. <laughs> like I think, <laughs> you know, I called them under the radar businesses because I actually don't think we have ever spoken about them uh, on this podcast. I can't remember. E- Evelyn's perhaps, but I, I would say there's a strong maybe, case for we've us never talking about pure storage. Yeah. And I, you know, I was even trying to think back as to how it ended up in the showroom mm-hmm. to begin with. And if my memory serves me right, I think it was one of those scenarios where Emmett knew someone who was working in Silicon Valley and basically like told them this company is great. There's a lot of hype about them. you got to look into them. And then we went and talked to some people who knew much more about tech hardware than we did and decided <laughs> that, uh, um, that actually they did look like quite an interesting business. It's quite a young company. Well, first of all, sorry, we added them, like we added them five years ago and it's returned about 145% in that time, which is pretty solid return given that, you know, we never talk about them. It's a pretty young business. They were founded in 2009 and they pretty much kept everything about the company secret until they launched their first product in 2011, which, which it came out kind of made sense because, uh, I think EMC then went on to sue them for stealing proprietary data and then they, <laughs> they sued Pure Surge, sued EMC back and I think they settled for a few million at the end of the day. But what they do is they, they make solid state data storage products, uh, both the hardware side and the software side. Uh, it's a really competitive market. Both NetApp and Dell are the, kind of the major players in enterprise storage, but it's rapidly growing. One report suggests it could grow at around 14% CAGR over the next couple of years. And that growth has been kind of showing in the last kind of couple of quarters, you know, against the backdrop of what has been a very choppy market, particularly for kind of smaller tech businesses. And um, this company has just been smashing it uh, in terms of earnings. The last earnings reported was in June. And they saw 50% revenue growth. Um, they saw solid margin expansion and they're now generating around 30% free cash flow margins. Now, admittedly, the company said that that revenue growth was down to a pull forward, um, on a, on a major deal. So we need to take that with a pinch of salt, but 
that was down to them being able to deliver on orders earlier than they expected. And, and I'll get on to that, uh, that shortly. Management also raised its annual revenue growth guidance to 23% for the year. So that's kind of more, I suppose you take that as kind of a more in line of what we should expect growth wise. Mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, it's far faster growth than, than their bigger competitors are showing, which could indicate that they're stealing some market share, not to get into the kind of technical weeds um, and make a show of myself. But the company, uh, the company has developed proprietary compression software, uh, which basically means you can store more on each drive. And they've put that software into hardware um, that importantly, they develop entirely themselves. Um, that last part seems to be a kind of big reason why they're doing well at the moment. They've kind of managed to sidestep a lot of the current supply chain issues because mm. basically they build everything themselves. They have a much simpler supply chain, a much cleaner supply chain. Um, and that's allowed them to steal some business from competitors in recent months uh, and to meet delivery times faster. That's what that pull forward was that I mentioned earlier, or that's the, you know, that's what I'm kind of assuming that pull forward was earlier. Um, the other reason that seems to be resonating with major customers is that they've gotten very good at selling this idea that the cost of ownership of pure solution is actually better for you than kind of cheap arrivals. So it's a kind of, Yes, you pay more at the start, but over the long run, you're actually far better with us. And a lot of that just seems to be down to the kind of quality of their products and this, and particularly this kind of sustainability angle that they push. Mm. You know, they, they claim their products last much longer than they said 96% of their products purchased over the last six years are still in operation. And then energy consumption seems to be a big thing that they're selling with, you know, their systems are kind of optimum compared to others. Um, and that obviously feeds into this whole ESG push that basically every business is out there clamoring to get in on. Actually, John Oliver did a whole segment on ESG last week. Uh, it didn't touch on uh, pure storage, but it was you know, <laughs> basically about uh, pretty much every company at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, I wondered, like, I, I, we, someone should at some point do a kind of study on how businesses react to John Oliver, give them... <laughs> to chatting them up or chatting them down more likely chatting yeah like down, that's what I was I say, say, yeah. he's yeah. usually not he's usually not picking them up so he's, like, yeah he's <laughs> usually calling them out isn't he um, the WWE he ripped to shreds that's right yeah that was a brilliant episode that I must have cut the stock price in half. Um, yeah and it comes out on a Sunday as well so it would be interesting to see like you'd be able to actually check it on the Monday morning the pre-market yeah uh, pre-market <laughs> anyway we're getting a bit off topic here um, but WWE is more interesting than <laughs> it's much more interesting talk about the big show look you you wanted me you wanted me to talk about this I didn't want to talk about this <laughs> anyway yeah grant okay if you want if you want to learn more about the technical aspects of it go read you know gartner has uh has loads of reports on this um who they've played actually gartner is one of the reasons we like this business they've consistently placed them as a leader in the quadrant for i think eight years now um they and i mean like their customers seem to love them as well they've 56 percent of the fortune 500 and this is interesting. They've an 85.2 NPS score, uh, which would put them in the 1%, top 1% of business to business companies in the world. Um, so yeah, look, it's a, as you tell, as you said, boring, but it's been, it's been taken along generating returns and it's been very resilient to, um, to the, to the latest downturn. They're reporting yeah. next week. If anyone is still listening to us and interested, <laughs> <laughs> if anybody wants a good time next week, uh, no, they do seem though like a good, uh, boring is best company at the moment, which is, uh, y- more boring companies are needed at the moment i think thanks for that rory um so let's finish off then today with elevator pitches uh so guys what companies are on your watch list at the moment mike i'm going to come to you first yeah the company i'm looking at 
is, uh, I think, basically the exact opposite of pure storage. <laughs> uh, WWE. <laughs> I wish. Uh, it's called Phase Holdings. Um, it's this is going to be quite unique pitch. Um, uh, I'm not really sure how to describe it to you, to be quite honest, which I realize is an ideal for an elevator pitch in which I describe to you a company. Um, you're, you're setting yourself up to get the long version here. Yeah. <laughs> 10 it's, minutes it's, of you sweating. It's a mix, uh, between like a content agency, a talent management, influencer house, Gen Z hoopla, we'll say. Um, yeah, it has, do you remember there was a business that was going to go public that had like those influencer houses? Did they ever go public? I remember I we definitely talked about them where they bought like they'd set up loads of mansions in like Miami and put a load of influence and influencers into them. But this isn't a million miles. Is that it? That. <laughs> no, is this this isn't it? no, this isn't it. It's a, it's got its origins like um from YouTube, in which like a team of gamers basically banded together to post kind of highlight clips and stuff of them playing like Call of Duty and uh, other first person shooters, and then this obviously grew legs and as it grew in popularity, money started rolling in initially from YouTube, but then in the form of kind of uh, esports. And what's culminated in is this FaZe Clan becoming amazingly one of the largest sports brands in the world. It's only behind what? it's only behind the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors in terms of uh, like recognizable sports team brand, which I thought was wow. Right, mate, outrageous. save it for the long pitch. Save it for yeah. The long pitch. yeah. <laughs> I want to hear about this. Rory, I don't even know if there's any point in asking you what you're nah, don't worry. I was, I'm looking at a pure storage again. Called, they're called Middleby. They make, they make kitchens. I oh, know. <laughs> no, they're the maker of, uh, they're the maker of commercial cooking equipment and residential appliances. Home cooks will probably know them best from their Viking range. Um, but if you've never heard of them, you've undoubtedly interacted with one of their products because they supply cooking equipment to 97 out of the top 100 food service chains in the world. Um, I thought the, the the eight billion market cap would sound small when you when you hear that figure, but uh, it's been pretty resistant to recent market volatility. They bring in revenue around three point six in the last twelve months. It grew twenty eight percent last year. It's got twenty percent EBITDA margins. Yeah, no. Tell me more about FaceClan. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like too much of a proper company, Mike. Let's do the long pitch on FaceClan. So guys, if you're not listening to this in the My Wall Street app, this is where we're going to leave you today. If you do want to find out more about Faceland, though, and I really would recommend that we had a very, very funny conversation about it, jump on over to the My Wall Street app now and you can listen to the rest of this conversation on the company for free. All you need to do is create an account. If you have any questions you'd like us to answer, elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle on future episodes of Stock Club, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-D at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, please make sure to tell your friends about us and leave us a rating or review on whatever platform you listen to us on. Thanks a million for joining us here today, and we'll talk to you next week. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. 
And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.